Well, last week we finished looking at the first group of questions that Paul was answering that the Corinthian Christians were asking, which had to do with relationships. And and this morning we're going to start looking at answers that Paul gives to questions concerning Christian liberties. Paul spends three chapters dealing with this issue of Christian liberties because it obviously was something that was a significant issue that the Corinthians needed a lot of instruction in. Now, Christian liberties are dealing with things that Christians are at liberty to do because the Bible does not uh, expressly forbid them. But the problem with many of these Christian liberties that we put under this umbrella of Christian liberties is there are some believers who do not feel that we are at liberty to do them. So if you have a particular issue like, is it okay for a Christian to have a glass of wine uh, with their meal, you'll have a group of people that says, well, from Our biblical knowledge of Scripture, the Bible says that you can't get drunk. It has nothing to say about drinking a glass of wine. So they realize it's okay to drink a glass of wine with your meal. Uh, You just can't get drunk. But then you have another group that says, no, 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 any alcohol at all uh, is completely forbidden. And so you have this issue where you have these two groups dealing with this problem. And so so now Paul is going to be addressing this. What do you do when you have some with the knowledge that you're at liberty to do something and others who don't feel that that liberty exists? What then do you do? And that's kind of uh, the question here that the Corinthians are posing to Paul. But, you know, they're dealing with a particular issue. It's an issue of whether or not a Christian should eat meat sacrificed to an idol. Now, I don't think any of us here in this room are probably ever going to face this issue. We don't have the problem of wondering, you know, this meat that I've bought here at Kroger, was it sacrificed to an idol or not? You know, that's just kind of not something that we deal with today. It was an issue in their day. But the thing that I want you to understand is the issue that Paul is addressing, the question pertaining this, isn't really the most important thing. That's not the main thing that he's addressing. What he's doing is he gives us principles for any Christian liberty it is, whether it is, you know, eating meat sacrificed to idols or whether it's something completely different, he wants to give us principles for how we should ultimately be able to deal with um, this Christian liberty. And so the main point that Paul's going to bring here in chapters 8, 9, and 10 is he's going to share with us four main principles that if we will apply these principles to our Christian liberties, then we'll understand how we should exercise them in a biblical way. And so those four principles are knowledge must be balanced by love, authority must be balanced by discipline, experience must be balanced by caution, and freedom must be balanced by responsibility. And I will readdress these things and bring them up. This morning we'll be looking at knowledge must be balanced by love. But I want you to recognize with each one of these, there's this balance because this is the issue. You've got two groups who have two kind of extreme thoughts on things. And Paul is saying that there's got to be a balance in the way in which you address these Christian liberties. And so I don't want you to get sidetracked this morning by the fact that, you know, the the issue is whether or not to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And you think, well, (laughs) I don't deal with that. So you kind of tune out. You know, the point isn't the example. The point is that with any Christian liberty we have, the principles that we uh, are going to be looking at will definitely impact those. And so You know, the most common Christian liberty issues that we face today are probably under two categories, what we wear and what we do. You know, there's certain kind of clothes 
makeup, jewelry, piercings, tattoos. You know, these are all under issues of, you know, is a Christian at liberty to do it? Is he not at liberty to do it? And then there's the issues of things that we do. Are you allowed to watch movies? There are those who believe that you're not. You know, are you allowed to dance? Uh, are you allowed to have a glass of wine with a meal? You know, are you allowed to listen to secular music? Uh, these are just Christian liberty issues that, you know, are things that we have today within the church. And so these principles that Paul is going to address to us are going to fit with all these different Christian liberties. And so I want you to be thinking about those Christian liberties as we look at this um, principle that Paul shares with us. Now, in order to understand this issue, this particular issue that's kind of foreign to us of whether or not to eat meat sacrificed to idols, we kind of need to understand a little of the background of Corinth so we can get an idea of why there was an issue there with the believers in this problem. So Corinth, as you remember when we started this uh, book, it's a very pagan place. There was a lot of idolatry, a lot of idol worship. Epaphrodites had a huge temple for her there, the goddess of sex. Um, you know, Zeus was worshipped. There was just a lot of idol worship. And one of the ways that they would worship these different false gods is that they would bring animal sacrifices uh, or bring animals to the priests ultimately to sacrifice uh, to these gods. Now, the significant thing about these different animal sacrifices is that they were divided into three portions. The first portion was to, you know, just be burnt up in honor of whatever false god that they were worshiping. The second portion was given to the worshiper to take home and eat. And the third portion, which was the best cut of meat, was given to the priest for doing this on behalf of the individual. Now, I want you to picture this. You have all these people in the city and you have all these animals that are being butchered, and this priest is getting nice cut of meat after nice cut of meat after nice cut of meat, and there's only so much that one priest can eat, and so he gets all this meat given to him, and so what does he do? Well, he has all this meat that's great cuts of meat, so he goes and sells it you know, to the you know, butchers and sells it to the restaurants and, and sells that meat that's been sacrificed to idols away because you know, he wants to make some money. Now, this meat had two great qualities. First, it was the best cut of meat. And second, it's cheap. You know, he's not trying to, you know, he can sell it for cheap because he got it for free. And just like us today, the Corinthians love a great bargain. And so when they go, if they can get a meat sacrifice to idols, this meat is cheaper. Uh, and so, you know, they, they liked that. I remember when I first moved to Scotland, uh, mad cow disease was this big thing, and there was all this research as to whether or not it impacts humans. But, you know, the price of meat drastically dropped. And on a missionary salary, I never got to eat steak. And all of a sudden, steak was cheaper than ground beef. And I thought, this is the greatest thing ever. Y'all are a little mad already. You know, what's a little more? So I bought steak a lot during that time. And I loved it because it was affordable. And that's kind of what's going on here in Corinth. They have these great cuts of meat for a wonderful deal. But here is the problem that exists now with the Corinthian Christians. Because of this great meat or uh, it had been sacrificed to an idol, you have kind of two different views as to what to do with this. First, there were many Christians who looked at this as nothing more than just a piece of meat uh, and a great deal. They didn't care the meat was offered to idols because they knew, hey, idols are nothing. They're just a piece of gold, a piece of wood, a piece of stone. You know, they're not real. They're just things that men have created. And so, you know, they thought, hey, we can just eat this meat. There's no big deal. Uh, and so they would. 
But then there were other uh, Christians who, they came out of this pagan lifestyle. They felt like these, you know, uh, false gods were actually had power and maybe were contaminated and corrupting this meat. And they felt like, no, to eat this was really something that was sinful and wrong. And so they struggled with doing that. And so for them, this isn't a dietary issue. This was a moral issue. So in Corinth, there's this group of Corinthian Christians who thought eating meat sacrificed to idols is fine. And then there's another group that thinks that it is completely wrong. Well, this raised many questions about whether or not they should eat meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, And this is the question that they asked Paul about. And so notice what they say here in chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Now, I want you to note something here. Before Paul gets into the you know, specifics of should you eat meat sacrificed to idols or, or shouldn't you do it, he, he wants to bring a principle that's hopefully going to guide the way in which people respond to this problem. And the principle is this, that love or knowledge must be balanced by love. Knowledge must be balanced by love. Paul starts off saying, you know what, knowledge produces something in us, and love produces something in us. He says, knowledge, in and of itself, alone, if that's all you have, what it does, it it puffs up. The Greek word translated puffs up means to inflate, to blow up, to cause to swell, to be made prideful. So Paul says, when all you have is knowledge, just knowledge in and of itself without anything else, what it ultimately does, it just causes you to swell. It causes you to get prideful. It's kind of the growth of a balloon. And ultimately, you know, it's not something that is a healthy growth. It's kind of like when we talk about people getting a big head. They're, they're just swelling up. They have this knowledge, but it's not balanced with anything healthy. And so it becomes something that's negative in their life. So knowledge alone produces something, but so does love. We're told that love edifies. This Greek word translated edifies means to build up from the foundation to promote godly growth. And so those who just have knowledge, they're like a balloon that's swelling, but those who have love, they're like a building built on a foundation that's growing in a positive way. There's a positive godly growth that love produces. So Paul wants us to understand if all you have is knowledge, it produces something negative. It just puffs you up. But if you have love, it produces something positive. It edifies. And because of that, knowledge must be balanced by love. You see, you can have all sorts of knowledge about something, but if it's not balanced by love, then ultimately you just become prideful and your actions to others aren't to edify. They're ultimately hurtful, not helpful. I've seen many Christian apologists, those who are out there to defend the Christian faith, that they kind of fit into this category. They're full of knowledge. You, you listen to their answers and you recognize they've spent a lot of time studying it and they have all this knowledge, but for many of them, that knowledge is not balanced with love. And, and so they just come across as these arrogant know-it-alls who don't really care about the people that they're supposedly trying to reach. And I've seen too many of them in that category, and it's very sad 
bad. And you see a lot of people aren't actually convinced to follow Christianity. They're turned away from Christianity because this person is just has knowledge, but does not have knowledge balance with love. Now, you'll see a very drastic difference when you look at a guy like Robbie Zacharias or others in that category where they do have an immense amount of knowledge, but you can see it's balanced with love, especially for the people they're trying to reach. And and those are the ones that are being most effective in doing what Christian apologists ultimately should do, defending the faith to reach people for Christ. But the key here is there needs to be this balance. When you acquire knowledge and don't have the balance of love, It produces pride. It produces things that are not helpful. But when you have that balance, it becomes helpful. Knowledge must be balanced by love. Otherwise, Christians will end up with big heads instead of enlarged hearts. And that's ultimately what we want. We want to have hearts for people. We want to reach people, not just swollen heads thinking we're so great with all the knowledge we've accumulated. So Paul starts with this principle. Knowledge must be balanced by love, and we need to have that principle if we're going to understand, well, how do we deal with this issue of Christian liberties and how we should exercise our Christian liberties? If you don't understand knowledge being balanced with love, you won't understand the biblical way to do that. Now, Paul goes on to say in verses 2 to 3, And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Those people who think they know everything and don't have the balance of love, Paul's saying, you know what? You don't really know what you should know. One of the most important things to know is that you're known by God because you love him. That's kind of the the core of, of things. And so Paul starts with this principle of knowledge being balanced by love. And now he's going to start talking about the issue, the particular issue of should you eat meat sacrificed to idols or not? But he's going to connect it with this important principle. Notice what he says in verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things and we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and we through and through him we live." In addressing this issue, Paul is addressing the two groups. You have the group that recognizes one thing and a group that, you know, sees something in a different way. And so the first group that Paul addresses is the one with the knowledge that we're at liberty to do this. The second group is the one that doesn't feel we have knowledge to do this. But notice what Paul says. He says, when he's speaking to the first group, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. Notice he says, we know. So he's including himself in this group. I'm part of the group that has knowledge of the fact that eating meat sacrificed to idols isn't sinful. It's something that we have liberty to do. And he brings out this reality. They acknowledge that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. We know something important. (laughs) Idols are nothing. There's really only one true God. Everything else that people worship are fake. They're not real. There's only one God. There's not multiple gods. Uh, There's only one true one, and then there's a bunch of false ones. Well, Paul goes on to say, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, whom are all things, and and we for him, and the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are all things, and through whom we 
left. <clears throat> so Paul says, you know, there are these so-called gods in the world. There, there are people like Zeus and, and Epaphrodites, and in our day you got Buddha, and you got, you know, the, the list goes on and on of, of gods that people are worshiping, but they're just so-called gods because they're fake. They're not real. They're, they're not true gods because we know biblically, Paul's part of this group, there's only one god, and all the rest of these uh, that we're offering, you know, meat to, they're, they're just false. They're just fake. So basically what Paul is saying is we know that if meat is offered to one of these so-called gods like Zeus, there's no real God, Zeus. All Zeus is is a statue that men have created with no power. And so there's no problem in eating meat sacrificed to that. He can't contaminate it. He can't do anything to it because he doesn't have any power. He doesn't exist. So Paul with this first group shares that they have knowledge of the one true God and that there is complete freedom and liberty to eat this meat. But now he wants us to understand that not everyone has that knowledge. Because now he's going to address the other group. Because the first group, they, they have a biblical knowledge of these things, and the other group did not. And notice what he says. But here the principle of knowledge must be balanced by love is very important. Verse 7. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. So Paul here reveals, you know, idols are nothing, but the reality is not everyone understands that. Not everyone has this knowledge that, hey, there's just one God and everything else that's worshipped out there is just false. There were many Corinthian Christians who didn't have the biblical knowledge that idols were nothing. They definitely thought they were something. They definitely thought they had power, you know, because they probably grew up, you know, being taught that stuff. And so they hadn't come to this understanding. And since they don't know that an idol is nothing, when they eat meat sacrificed to idols, their conscience being weak, Paul says, is defiled. Now, our conscience is that internal feeling of whether something is right or wrong. But Paul says, you know, those who don't know that, you know, these things, he says that their, their conscience is weak. So why is it that their conscience is weak? Well, it's not because their conscience doesn't work. Their conscience definitely works. In fact, maybe it overworks. But their conscience is considered weak because it lacks knowledge. Their conscience is operating on the idea that there is really something to an idol, and therefore they feel defiled by eating this meat. You see, our conscience is ultimately dictated by our knowledge. And the more biblical knowledge that we have will impact what is truly right or wrong. Because we have these feelings about what are right or wrong, but those feelings aren't always accurate. What we do is we take the word of God to be able to tell us, oh no, this truly is wrong, this truly is right, and this is one of those areas where we're at liberty, not necessarily we should do it, but we have the liberty, and so it helps you know, direct our conscience that knowledge reveals to our conscience what's right and wrong. Now, when you get a new believer, they oftentimes feel certain things are right that the Bible says are not, and they feel certain things are wrong that the Bible says you're at liberty to do because they just don't have the knowledge connected to that, and this is what was going on there in Corinth. So he's saying there are believers who have a weak conscience, and the reason it's weak is because it lacks biblical knowledge knowledge to understand, hey, this is okay to do. Oh, I don't feel it's okay to do. Well, that's just because you don't have the biblical knowledge about it. Uh, And so Paul's bringing out this reality that's there. And so because their conscience feels like it's wrong, 
when they eat it, they feel defiled. They feel like they've sinned. They feel like they've done something that they shouldn't. And so that lack of knowledge and weak conscience makes them feel this way. But Paul wants them to understand that they've missed something important. Notice what he says in verse 8. Food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat it are we the better, nor if we do not eat it are we the worse. Paul wants to give them an important piece of knowledge. You feel like, you know, oh man, we're, we're sinning so much because of this food and we're eating and it's defiling us. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Food does not commend us. It doesn't bring us closer to God. Whether you eat it or not isn't bringing you closer or, or sending you farther away. You've kind of missed this reality that that's not an issue. That's not something that's sinful. That's not something you have to worry about. But they felt like they did. They felt like if I eat this, then I'm in sin and there's a problem here. And so Paul wants them to know that's not the case. You've made an issue out of something that God hasn't made an issue out of. Now, what Paul shares next is really the key to what he's trying to communicate. Now he's going to show us how the principle of knowledge being balanced by love is practically done in a situation where you do have people who have a knowledge that it's okay to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And now how do you deal with the other group that doesn't have that knowledge and feels like if I do this and if you do this, it's sinful? So how do you do it? Well, Paul's going to address that. Verses 9 through 13 says this. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge of eating in an uh, sorry, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Notice what Paul talks about here. He brings out the two groups. You got the group with the knowledge that you can. You got the group who doesn't have that knowledge and feels like if they do it, they're in sin. And now he's really addressing the group with the knowledge. He wants them to understand, okay, well, what do you do with this liberty that you know that you have? How do you do that liberty around people who don't feel like you should have it? Notice what he says. Beware a warning, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Here is really where the problem lies. You have Christians with a knowledge of something that they're at liberty to do. I'm at liberty to eat meat sacrificed to idols, or I'm at liberty to drink a glass of wine with my meal, or I'm at liberty to listen to secular music, or I'm at liberty to go to the movies, or whatever the Christian liberty issue might be. But when you have the knowledge of a certain liberty, here's the key. You need to beware that your liberty and exercising that liberty is not causing someone who doesn't have that knowledge to stumble. That's the challenge for us who are in the category of, I have a biblical knowledge that there are certain things I can do, and I'm around others who don't have that biblical knowledge. I need to then look to them and say, I don't want to exercise my knowledge if it's going to ultimately cause them to stumble. If you know you're free to do something, but that thing that you're free to do causes your brother or sister in Christ to stumble out of love for them, don't do it. See, this is the principle. 
Knowledge without the balance of love is the problem. Oh, well, I have knowledge that I can do this, and I'm just going to go do it no matter what. You know, it's my liberty. It's my rights. I'll continue with it. Well, that's not knowledge balanced with love. Love recognizes there are other people who don't have the recognition that they're free. And instead of just saying, well, you should just know, it's, hey, am I going to exercise this in front of them if it's going to cause them to stumble? Don't use your knowledge of a certain liberty to stumble them. Instead, use love and don't partake in it around them. Remember, knowledge alone puffs up, but love edifies. Don't use your knowledge that you are at liberty to do something ultimately to cause another believer to stumble. Well, Paul gives a practical example of how this will be a problem if you're not balancing knowledge and love. He says in verse 10, For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? So Paul's example is, hey, you know, if you have knowledge, you can eat meat sacrificed to idols, and so you're just doing it. Well, if you do that in front of someone without that knowledge, and and they feel that that's wrong, aren't you just emboldening them to do something that will stumble them? You're emboldening them to do something that ultimately they feel is sinful and wrong, and ultimately you'd be guilty of causing them to stumble. So Paul's challenge is don't let your liberty... Be something that you exercise in front of those who are weak in conscience and will cause them to stumble. And he takes it one step further, which is very important to understand. Verse 12, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Notice this. He's already said, you know what, if you're just going to say, hey, it's my knowledge of something that I'm at liberty to do. It's my right. It's my liberty. I'm just going to do it no matter what. You're sinning against the person who is weak in that because you're causing them to stumble. So it's a sin against them. That should be bad enough. That should be something that we say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Out of love for other believers, I'm going to refrain from my freedom and my liberty right now among them because I don't want to cause them to stumble. But Paul takes it another step. You're not only sinning against them, you're sinning against Christ. So if it's not enough to say, you know what, my love for them is going to keep me from doing it, hopefully your love for Jesus will keep you from doing it, because Paul's saying it's not just a sin against them when you do it, it's a sin against Jesus as well. The knowledge that we have about the things we are at liberty to do should never supersede the love we need to demonstrate to our weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. Knowledge must be balanced with love. You know, you see, our knowledge can either be a stepping stone or a stumbling block to other believers, depending on whether it's balanced with love. If you have knowledge balanced with love, you're, you're a stepping stone. You're leading people to Christ. You're, you're being a blessing to them. You're not causing them to stumble. Knowledge in and of itself alone, without the balance of love, all you become is this hazard. You're, you're, you're a stumbling block to other believers in their life. You're doing things that is hindering their relationship with Jesus. And hopefully we never want to be in a place where we are hindering someone else's walk. We're hindering someone else's relationship with Jesus. But the reality is some of the liberties that we have when we're around other believers who don't know they have that liberty, if we exercise that, we become a stumbling block. 
We become something that hinders their walk with Jesus instead of someone who's helping their walk. And so we need to recognize how I deal with my knowledge of these things. I'm going to either be something that's helpful or I'm going to be something that's hurtful. I'm going to be someone who can bless or I'm going to be someone who ultimately is going to curse and hurt the relationship that other believers have with the Lord. But notice that Paul says something maybe extreme to the way we would think. Verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul wants us to understand the thing that should be most important to us is not our liberty. The thing that should be most important to us is our love for other believers. And Paul makes what seems to be kind of an extreme statement of, hey, you know what? If me eating meat, sacrificed idols, causes other believers to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. I'm fine with getting rid of that out of my life. I'm fine with giving that liberty away, that right that I have to eat that great cheap meat. I won't do it anymore if that's going to cause another believer to stumble because them and my relationship with them and their relationship with Jesus and loving them, that's more important to me. That's of a higher priority than this right and this liberty that I possess. And the question for us is, what is more important to you? Is your liberty and right more important than your love for others? Are you more concerned about exercising your liberty or are you more concerned about the stumbling of someone else? And I think too often in our Christian, you know, especially in America, it's like, you just need to get over it. You just need to realize that you have this right as well, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And if you don't like it, that's fine. I don't really care. And we kind of just don't really care that some of our actions have an impact negatively on other believers. And instead, we should be saying, you know what? Yeah, this is my liberty. Yeah, I have a right to do this. But you know what? What's more important is loving you. What's more important is making sure you're not stumbling. So when I'm around you, I'm not going to do that. When I'm around you, I'm not going to exercise this liberty because I want to make sure I'm never guilty of putting you in a place where my actions are going to cause you to stumble. You might be right. You might know you have a knowledge to do something, but I think the reminder for us is it's never right to stumble another believer. Knowledge must be balanced with love. So you can see here, the issue really isn't meat sacrifice to idols. You could put any Christian liberty example in there. The principle is going to be the same. Whether you could say meat sacrifice to idols, drinking wine at a meal, going to the movies, listening to secular music. I mean, whatever the Christian liberty issue is, the point is, okay, am I going to have knowledge balanced with love? When I invite someone over for dinner and I know that they believe drinking any alcohol is wrong, but I know that, hey, I can have a glass of wine with my meal. I have a choice to make. I can make a point in front of them. I can drink that glass of wine. I can show them my liberty and that, you know, I'm free to do this, even if though it might stumble them. Or I can say, you know what, while they're in my house, I'm just going to have water and tea. What's the big deal of, of sacrificing that for a meal in order to show them love? Now, when they're not there and it's just you and your home and your Christian liberty, you know, you're fine. But in front of them, you don't want to stumble them. If you have a person come over your house and they feel like any secular music at all is of the devil and, and sinful and you shouldn't listen to it, well, you could say, well, I'm going to blast all the secular music I can when they come and show them how silly that is. Or you could just say, you know what? I'm either not going to play any music at all or I'll just play Christian music while they're in my home. Well, what's the point of, of, of demonstrating this liberty if it's going to cause them to stumble? 
Or if someone believes, you know what, you should never watch TV. Well, they could come to the house and you could just have the TV on the whole time just to make a point. Or you could say, you know what, when they're here, we're not going to watch it. Because I know that's a problem for them. I believe I have liberty to do it. They don't. And so therefore, I'm going to love them enough to not exercise that liberty in their presence. You know, we do this type of thing in a practical way. And it's kind of interesting to me that so often we're not willing to do it in a spiritual way. You know, in a practical way, you have a friend who's on a diet, and they've told you. And they say, man, I'm trying to lose 10 pounds by whatever, and my big weakness is chocolate cake with bluebell ice cream. And, you know, oh, I'm not going to have any desserts for the next two months, and I'm trying to lose all this weight. If you were to invite them over for dinner, after dinner, would you put a big plate of, you know, chocolate cake and bluebell ice cream in front of them? No, because you realize that's just going to tempt them to break their diet, which they've just told you they're not wanting to do. And so we say, you know what, I'm not going to put that in front of you. I'm not going to do that to you because I don't want you to stumble in your diet. If we're willing to do that in a practical sense, which who really cares about diets, why aren't we willing to do that spiritually? Recognizing, you know what, when you're at my house or I'm with you, I'm willing to sacrifice certain things that would cause you to stumble, even though I'm at liberty to do them because I love you enough not to do that in front of you. Important thing to remember Jesus tells us it's not our liberty that demonstrates we're his disciples. It's our love for one another. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Notice the biggest way we show love is not, oh, or the biggest way that we show we're Jesus' disciple is, oh, look at all the liberties I have. Look at all the freedoms. Look at all the rights I have. No, the thing that we need to show ultimately is love for each other. And it's not loving to exercise your liberty in front of someone who doesn't understand they have it. It's not loving to go ahead and cause someone else to stumble just so that you can do what you feel you have a right to do. I think in the Christian world, especially here in America, we're very much too hung up on our rights. And we're not willing to let them go for the benefit of others. But you know what? Jesus gave up his rights. Jesus left heaven. He left the throne. He came to become one of us. And he ultimately gave his life on the cross for us. He gave up the ultimate rights so that ultimately we could have salvation, so that we could be forgiven of our sins. If we want to be more like Jesus, we need to be following his example that says, you know what? I'm willing to give up my liberty for love of people. Jesus was a lover of us. Are we going to love those that he died for? Are we going to say, you know what? There's nothing I ever want to do that gets in the way of someone's relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray.